Well, today we're going to talk about how you can have a great Christmas. My brother contacted me a couple of weeks ago. He wanted to know the recipe for green jello salad. Uh, and, and that's, that's a secret that, that, um, I don't really know. I, I know some of the ingredients because I've eaten it. My family, that was a tradition. We had green jello salad with our Christmas dinner as far back as I can remember. I don't know where my mom found the recipe or if she made it herself, but, uh, it was uh, jello plus a bunch of other things and I could tell him some of the ingredients, but I didn't know the proportions and everything, so I told him, you know, that's a secret she took with her. So, um, so we're just going to have to puzzle through how to do that. But I understood. He didn't explain why, but I understood why he, why he wanted the recipe because, uh, mom passed on this year and he wants to have green jello salad at Christmas. So I completely understand why he's, why he's interested in the recipe because he wants Christmas to be special. I think a lot of us want Christmas to be special and we know that there are those things that make Christmas special. We think about the, the particular dish that is served as part of Christmas dinner. And without it, you know, it's nice, it's a big feast and we all get fat, but it's not quite Christmas unless we have that particular thing that is part of Christmas. Or maybe, maybe for you it's not a, it's not a dish, maybe for you it's, it's something on the tree, an ornament, or maybe a decoration around the house, maybe something ugly in the front lawn and the neighbors wish you wouldn't have. You know, <clears throat> we, we have different things that make it Christmas for us. And, and for some of us, it may be an ornament. Uh, for some of us, you know, what, what it is is not so much um, a, a recognition of something that has been helpful in the past, but an expectation about the future. We have an idea that if we got this particular shiny new thing, um, maybe some of the children can relate to this, if there was a particular shiny new thing under the tree this year, then this would be a great Christmas. And if not, well, it'll just be Christmas. So um, we have expectations. We bring expectations. Maybe some of us... Our expectation is that we just have a good Christmas, that this year, you know, the the arguments about politics and so forth, they just won't come up this year, or that thing that you promised to do and you never delivered, you know, all, all the things that, that kind of sometimes get dredged up at Christmas time, that this year we just won't have them, that we'll have a good Christmas. Maybe it's not even a particular thing we can put our finger on. We just remember a good Christmas. We remember that time when the kids were younger and it was just... It was just perfect. And I think back to it now when it was like the perfect Christmas. And I wish somehow we could have Christmas like that again this year. And so we don't know really maybe what caused it to be good. And we're not sure if it's possible because the kids aren't young anymore and we're not young. Things are changed. But we wish that we could have that wonderful Christmas again. And if if you can relate to any of this, then I want to reassure you that you're not the first people to think that. In fact, people have been thinking this since before there was Christmas. Our reading today comes to us from the book of Ezra, and my guess is that it's as popular in your home as it is in mine. It's not, it's not a, a part of my Bible that the, that naturally flops open to. Um, it's a thin little book in between a bunch of bigger books. It's hard to find even when you're looking for it. So we're gonna, we're gonna see something in the book of Ezra though, because it was written 500 years BC, before Christmas, before there was a Christ, before Christmas, people were wrestling with the same challenge. How can you have a good celebration? In their case, it wasn't Christmas. In their case, it was the Feast of Booths. But they were wrestling with the same thing. And we're going to see a principle as we look at this passage that will help us understand how we can have a great Christmas this year. So let's go ahead and take a look at the book of Ezra. 
it begins by telling us about the context. We've been looking at the story of the Babylonian exile during Advent. This is the season of Advent in the church. And we began a couple of weeks ago looking about the way God had uh, foretold through his prophets. He had told the people of God that they were going to go into exile. He said, you're going to be uh, conquered by a foreign country. And, and that's what happened. And then last week, we looked at a passage of scripture that helped them keep their hope alive during the time that they were in exile. And today we're going to look at a passage about what happened once they were released from their uh, exile in Babylon. So uh, what had happened was um, there was a change of government. So uh, we begin in verse 1. It says, The first year of King Cyrus of Persia. What had happened about 50 to 70 years ago, uh, depending on which wave of conquest we're talking about, the, the nation of Judah was, was conquered by Babylon. Babylon is what we would now say is modern-day Iraq. It's the Fertile Crescent. And they had conquered a whole swath of the ancient Middle East, and they finally got around to conquering Judah. And they, they, when, when they got there, one of the policies that the Babylonians had as the way that they worked their empire is they would go through and they would find anybody with particular skills, anything of value, including the people, and they would take them back to Babylon. And the idea was they were enriching their country, and if they were impoverishing these these small uh, parts of the empire, that was great too, because then they weren't any threat. So they they left basically the the least skilled farmers to be kind of subsistence farmers in the land of Judah. But the, anybody with any skills, anybody who had any assets to bring to Babylon, were forcibly departed uh, deported to to Babylon, and that's that's where things were for about fifty years. But now. Babylon has been conquered. We read the first year of King Cyrus. This is actually his 20th year on the throne, but uh, Cyrus is a great military adventurer. Um, he has conquered, he started in Persia, he conquered a neighboring country called Elam, and then he conquered Medea, and now he's conquered Babylon. He will actually uh, uh, have the, the biggest uh, empire of the ancient world until the time of Alexander the Great. So uh, he is a great adventurer and during his first year running Babylon, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. He says, you all can go home. He said, whatever country Babylon imported you from, you can go back there. And that includes the Jews who were brought from Judah. Uh, Cyrus says, you can go back home now if you want. So he puts this edict into place and he says, he says may your God be with you. Um, let your neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold and so forth. So they get to go home. The problem is, it's not really home. I mean, there's a few survivors who were alive 70 or maybe in a few cases 50 years ago when the last wave of deportation took place. But for most of the people who we're talking about, they were not alive. They were, they've never seen Judah. They don't know what Jerusalem was like. So to them, it's just stories. Uh, Grandma told us about uh, Jerusalem and how wonderful things were there. Um, my granddad used to be a priest in the temple, and he told me how rich and ornate the, the Temple of Solomon was. But I've never seen it myself. So that's the people, for the most part, who went home to this land that was their ancestral home, but really wasn't their home. So they leave the Fertile Crescent, they go up along the rivers, they come down the coast, and they wind up in Judah. And they find out it's kind of a dump. 
because it was conquered 70 years ago and the people who've been kind of scrabbling together a living for the last 50 years haven't been in any position to, to rebuild or to make it any better. So they get there and they find out it's still, in, in large part, it's still in ruins. This place that they've only heard good things about, how wonderful Israel was, how, how wonderful Jerusalem was, how beautiful the temple was, they get there and they find out it's really a dump. And not only is it a dump, it's a dangerous dump because when Grandma was telling us those stories... She left out the neighboring tribes. She left out the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and all these people who are historic enemies of Israel. And I know this will come as a shock to you, but in the Middle East there was a time when not everybody got along. And so they get there and they find out, hey, this place is a dump and it's a dangerous place to live. But what do they do? They're here you make the best of it. You get to work. And it says, during that first year, they put together the altar and began to offer sacrifices to God. So we read how um, even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to offer burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. So they've got the altar functioning now, and now they turn their attention to the foundations of the temple. So it goes on, it says, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple. The priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. So they have now got a a sort of a functioning temple. They've got the altar and they've at least got the foundation for the temple. And they say, let's celebrate the Feast of Booths. So they go ahead and they celebrate the Feast of Booths, which is a major part of the Jewish calendar. And the, the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. And they sang this song, uh, to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But, there's always a but. In this case, it's the people who were here before. The people who were here 70 or 50 or 60 years ago. And they actually knew what the temple was like. They knew what Jerusalem had been. And they look around and it says that in their eyes, when they saw what the temple was, they wept because they had those expectations. They knew what a great feast of boots was supposed to be like. They knew what this celebration should be like. They knew what it could be like. And they look around and they say, this is so sad. This is not what I had in mind. This is not meeting my expectations. All the things I had hoped for in this celebration aren't happening. It's not that they were wet blankets. It's not that they were uh, party poopers. They weren't trying to bring everybody else down. They just knew how good it could have been. And when they saw what it was, they wept. But the others, the ones who didn't have those expectations, the ones who didn't know what the temple was like, they celebrated. They sang praises. Because they understood that the point of the celebration wasn't the temple. The point of the temple wasn't the temple. That no matter how grand Solomon's temple had been and no matter how abysmal the current foundations of the new temple are, the point of the temple is not the temple. The point of this celebration is the God who liberates, the God who liberated the people of God from Egypt hundreds of years before. That's what the celebration of the Feast of Booths is about. It's about the God who liberated slaves from bondage in Egypt. And now they're saying, what better picture could there be of what God has done for us? 
God has liberated us from this deportation, this exile that we experienced for 50 years in a foreign country. God has liberated us. That's what the celebration is about. Celebration is not about the temple. The temple is not about the temple. The temple is about the God who liberates his people. And that is the lesson for us. That is the lesson how we can have a great Christmas too. By remembering that Christmas is not about Christmas. Christmas is not about the symbols and the singing, the robes and the rituals. Christmas is about the God who came to earth to liberate us. Christmas is about the God who liberates. So, this year for Christmas, we have expectations, we have hopes, we have great memories. But don't let them define Christmas. You know, I told my brother the secret for the Jell-O recipe as much as I knew. But I would tell him, Christmas isn't about the jello. Christmas is about the God who liberates, the God who eventually liberated my mother from her sickness and took her to heaven, and she is now free to sing again. That's the God we celebrate, the God who liberates. Christmas is not about the ornament, the special ornament, but it's about the people who know the story of the ornament and the God who came to set them free. Christmas is not about the tree or the trimmings, the gifts. Christmas is about the God who came to free us all, who came as a baby, died as a man, so that we could be liberated from everything that holds us captive. That's the Christmas we're going to celebrate. If you're here today, I invite you to come back next week because this is what we're going to be doing for the rest of this Christmas season. We're going to be celebrating not the holiday, not this temple, but the God who liberates us. So I invite you to be part of that. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we give you thanks for Christmas. We give you thanks for opportunities to pause, to stop what we're doing, and remember that you are a great God, a God who from time immemorial has been liberating his people. We thank you that you have called us to become part of that people. And we thank you for the power, the the mighty arm and the outstretched hand that you have used to liberate your people time and time again. So, Lord, we pray you would liberate us from whatever holds us captive and you'd give us an opportunity this Christmas to celebrate you, the God who liberates. We pray it in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.